0: All right. Who has not taken advantage of the week-free trial of the fitness app yet? Check it out. It is a one-stop shop for all your fitness, nutrition, and wellness needs, custom meal plans, personalized workout programs, meditations, sleep programs, community support, and so much more. You can use it on any device, Anywhere, any place, anytime, no equipment needed or all the equipment in the world is in there. There's yoga, there's kickboxing, there's audio only workouts, there's hit training, weight loss programs, prenatal programs, anything and everything you can think of is in the fitness app. And if you go to thefitnessapp.com slash podcast deal, you can get 25% off an annual subscription for $89.99 a year. So check it out and start your free trial today. Welcome to Keeping It Real, Conversations with Jillian Michaels. All right, guys, I'm pumped for this one because so many of you struggle with PCOS or fertility issues like endometriosis, uterine polyps, can't get pregnant, and I get so many questions and I see so many heartbreaking posts on my social or in the Jillian Michaels community social that Cindy went out. And found a gangster, a badass, a monster in the space, Dr. Heather Huddleston. And I'm not exaggerating. Cindy, tell him, tell them what she's done. Tell them what she's done, people. (laughs) It's actually incredible. So I Cindy's got the list. I was like, I can't. The list is too long. You do the list. She's just she is.
1: She's the director. Of the University of California at San Francisco's PCOS clinic and research program, so she just thinks that she oversees research projects that are are focusing on, uh, you know, improving medical understanding of PCOS because it's it's a complicated syndrome. And uh, she went to Harvard Medical School. She did a residency at Brigham and Women's. Hospital uh, fellowships there. Uh, she's just all of our she's, docs went to Harvard. Deep into this, Dr. Yeah, well.
0: Naidu, Dr. Lee, <laughs> Dr. Huddleston. Uh, I hear it's yeah, a Harvard good medical. medical school. I, uh, I, I, you know, hey, that's uh, all right. Um, <laughs> no, but okay. All all seriousness, guys. Uh, this is a complicated issue, in particular PCOS, and here is why: because there are certain aspects of it that relate to a metabolic condition. And I've talked about this before, it's linked to insulin resistance and weight gain. And I wonder in some cases, if if it's this vicious cycle, right, of causing you to gain weight, which makes you more insulin resistant, which worsens the condition, and you kind of get trapped in this spider web, hormonally speaking on the metabolic side, but then you can also have reproductive issues. So people who notice symptoms might end up at a dermatologist's, right? Because it's like, oh, I've got bad skin. Or they might end up at their gynecologist because they're struggling with the fertility component. Or they might be dealing with, they might go see a trainer. Now, they may not know to see a doctor who specializes in metabolic disease and those kinds of conditions because they don't realize that maybe the weight they're having a hard time losing is linked to insulin resistance. So a lot of times this can kind of fall through the cracks in a, in a host of ways. It doesn't get diagnosed properly. It doesn't get treated properly. Pieces of it get treated. Pieces of it don't. And when I say pieces, it manifests in a host of ways. And it could be weight gain. It could be acne. It could be excess hair growth. It could be hair loss on the top of your head. It could be All of those things, which could send you to several different doctors. Therefore, having an expert who specializes in PCOS is really, really important because you're going to find a way forward while having general recommendations that will seem pretty obvious, right? He's also very case specific, which is not just related to PCOS. You're going to see that across the board with different health conditions, but it's, it's unique. And it's individual to the person. That said, you may not even know you have PCOS. I didn't know I had PCOS as a kid until I got raced to the hospital at 16. Did I ever tell you that story, Cindy? Yeah, no. I thought my appendix was bursting. Oh. Yeah. I think that sounds like a similar, it it is a similar feeling. Holy mother of God, dude. I, I remember several things in my life that were exceptionally painful. That top one of the top. One of the top. A mm. uh, crazy wow. infection in my wisdom tooth where I thought there was an ice pick in my ear. Uh, I thought there was an alien eating through my stomach with uh with the PCOS. And then what I did to my mm. back was like next, next level agony. Um I've I've heard like a burst slowly like getting shit. shot. <laughs> Maybe a little Oh worse. my god. And so you you're like, you can't tell what it is at first. I just remember like heaving, thinking I needed to throw up, thinking I was having period cr- I couldn't figure out what it what it was. It got to the point where I was like doubled over in so much pain. I was at my my dad's, but only my stepmom was home, and I wasn't close with my stepmom. So I called my mom. And my mom oh. drove over in the middle of the night, and I crawled down the stairs. Oof. And my mom took me to the emergency room thinking for sure, right? Like, okay, her appendix has got to be bursting. And uh, right. they found sure. something called cul-de-sac fluid, which is when the cyst bursts, it leaves fluid Oof. in the literally like this cul-de-sac against your certain, the lining of your, against the muscles, or I can't remember exactly. I'm so technical. Mm. I'm such a professional. Uh, but it shouldn't be there. This fluid should not be there where it is. Right. And it has to be reabsorbed. And in the meantime, it is causing an irritation and a pain and an aggravation that is just debilitating. Um, so Mm. that's how they found it. And I didn't realize like I had shit skin, you know, I was constantly like lasering, plucking, waxing. And I was like, well, I'm just ethnic, you know, that's, that's gotta be it. Oh, and I'm just I'm a teenager for the skin stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and and I was starting to, at 16, I think I had lost a large amount of the excess weight I was carrying. But I was eating like shit. I didn't know better. I was eating complete crap, just less of it. Or I was eating a ton of diet food, which is the, bad. Especially yeah. back then. Chemical, <laughs> cheese, fake everything, all fake everything. And the fat makes you fat. So even more so, that was like the time of Susan Powder, which she, you remember, I don't know if you remember yes. this. So for those of you uh, who are young, there was yes. a woman named Susan Powder. What a, oh like a late night infomercial called Stop the Insanity. And she would say that fat makes you fat. And it made perfect sense, even though it's completely wrong and not true. Um, So it had everybody eating fat-free foods. So everybody was eating like processed carbs and processed sugar, because it was all fat-free. And their blood sugar was through the roof creating like hyperinsulinemia, right? Like your insulin levels are through the roof, which Mm. only exacerbated the condition. Uh, Dude, anyway, the point being, (laughs) you might be struggling with these things and not know you have PCOS. You could be struggling with fertility and not realize you have polyps, endometriosis, PCOS, Asherman syndrome. Um, You may know you have these things and feel like you're not getting great advice as to how to move forward. You might feel hopeless. You might feel helpless. The great news is, There's a hell of a lot you can do. There are a host of solutions. They're accessible once you know what they are. And for that reason, we have the appropriate doctor on to answer all of your questions about each and every scenario I just mentioned. So with that said, we will be right back with Dr. Heather Huddleston. Your business was going great, but now your team is buried in manual work. If this is you, you should know these three numbers 37,025. One. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash Jillian. That's netsuite.com slash Jillian to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash Jillian. All right, team. You know I love Skims underwear because I've mentioned them and have been wearing them for, gosh, a little over a year now. So I finally had to try their bras, and Skims has delivered yet again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. Even the underwire bras I wear all day are so comfortable, I barely even notice I'm wearing them. Whether it's the weightless scoop bra, the fits everybody bra, the plunge bra, the fits everybody t-shirt bra, I always get them in sand. So you never notice them. Super comfortable. Love them. Wear them nonstop all the time. Shop Skims bras at skims.com now available in 62 sizes 38 to 46 h plus get free shipping on orders over 75 dollars if you haven't yet be sure to let them know i sent you after you place your order select podcast in the survey and select my show in the drop down menu that follows all right guys we are back with dr heather huddleston who is a specialist in reproductive endocrinology and fertility doc welcome to the show thank you so much for coming on yeah it's great to be here Um, I don't even really know where to jump in with you here because there were so many questions from the listeners for you about everything from PCOS, endometriosis, Asher's syndrome. So I I thought we could just start off with um, reproductive endocrinology. So many women I talk to are struggling with fertility. And I don't just mean like 40 years old, that, you know, want to have a baby later in life kind of thing. I'm talking about 30 years old, not getting pregnant. What is going on? Is this a result of all these symptoms we just talked about? Like what, why does this seem to be so much more widespread than it was for my mother's generation? Or am I crazy? Is this more common and we're just talking about it now?
1: I think it's, I think it's really hard to know to some degree if it's become more common. There is a suggestion that it might be. Um, I think the biggest factor though, is that people are waiting a little bit longer to get pregnant. So even, even Mm. 30 in our mother's age, you know, would have been a little bit late. You know, my mom had been when she was 20. So so there is a pushing of age across the board. So I think that is definitely probably the biggest factor, but there are probably a lot of other factors in our environment and in how we live and our lifestyle um, that are also impacting fertility in negative ways. You know, so we know that there's things in the environment can, that can definitely impact sperm that's been shown um, just our general like health as has sort of changed over the past 30 years in ways that may not be as beneficial for fertility. So I think there's multiple factors um, going on, but, you know, even, Even in our Mother's Day, like fertility has infertility has always been relatively common. I think people don't realize ten percent of couples will struggle to get pregnant. That's a lot of people. So um, it's it's you know the more people can talk about it and get help, the better, really, because um, it's it's not a unique or rare thing.
0: Outside of the fertility component of this conversation, I get in. overwhelming amount of questions about polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis. And I myself is a, and I'm going to say a much younger kid, struggled with PCOS when I was around 16 and endometriosis. But as I got healthier um, in my, quite honestly, mid-20s, sort of working out more, eating better, the symptoms went away. But i'm noticing that people are identifying with these conditions as though it's it's a part of who they are not something that can be treated um are you are you seeing that in your practice at all it's like they fight for i have pcos and therefore i can't lose weight and i can't get pregnant and i can't now am i am i being too judgmental in thinking that the majority of these conditions can be either reversed or greatly mitigated by an expert like yourself, or
1: am I just being an idiot here? Well, I think, okay, so the first thing with PCOS is it it's a syndrome, right? So it's a collection of symptoms that go together. And it so it's things like hyperandrogenism, it's irregular cycles, it's an appearance of your ovaries where there's a lot of excess of small follicles, basically, which we call polycystic. So it's this collection of things. And then along with that, it's not part of the diagnostic criteria, but a lot of times we do see a lot of insulin resistance in this population. But so the first big picture to know, though, is that it's very heterogeneous, meaning that if I saw 10 patients with PCOS in my clinic today, they would not all be the same and they would not all have the same issues. And there'd, there'd be a lot of variation. So I think really? the first thing is, to, yes. I All right, that's,
0: that's I'm I'm super surprised. I thought that it would be just like any other. It's like, oh well, you have this, and it manifests as follows for everybody. No,
1: yeah, so it's not like, oh, I have hype, you know, hypothyroidism. You know, there's something wrong with my thyroid. This is how it's manifesting. The yeah, hundred percent. So PCOS is different. It's like, like I said, because it's a syndrome, there's a lot of variation. And I think that's part of what leads to a lot of the confusion. But you know, there's patients with lean PCOS who are not overweight at all, but are struggling with certain things. There's patients who are not lean, who are very overweight, who are really struggling with things. And some of those things may be different. Um, some patients have relatively regular cycles, some patients don't. So I think the first thing I really try to do is to take a deep dive into whatever is going on with that specific patient um because and not necessarily apply like oh this works for all patients with PCOS because that that's just not the case i think there you really have to look at the individual so doc
0: when you're when you're talking about looking at individuals are there categories in other words i will generally say look exercise, stay away from processed carbohydrates, try to go with low glycemic index foods because I'm aware of the connection with insulin resistance. Yeah. So I'm trying to bring the insulin levels down through, you know, my area of expertise, which yeah. is diet and fitness. But would you then not suggest something like birth control or androgen blockers or
1: a low carb diet or removing processed carbs for every individual? The treatment plan can definitely vary depending on the concerns of the patient. So if the patient has insulin resistance that we can detect, you know, or higher glucose levels, or they're really struggling with weight gain, then I'm going to, you know, the approach that you're suggesting is super, super important. And um, we want to discuss that with our patients, you know, bringing in more activity or exercise if they're not doing that, you know, working on a lower glycemic diet, all of that is really important. That's going to help their metabolic health. It's not necessarily going to necessarily going to fix some of their other concerns. You know, it's not necessarily going to make them suddenly have regular cycles. It's not going to make excessive hair growth go away. Um, And so if they also are struggling with, let's say, acne and hair growth, yes then any irregular cycles then the birth control pills and an androgen blocker can be something that could be useful for that patient there you know there might be other options it's a discussion i'm going to have but for many people that those two things can be really helpful for them for their skin and for their cycles that's not going to necessarily help their metabolic health i mean it's they're not really connected their metabolic health is something that is going to be more addressed with another, you know, discussion and another kind of line of, you know, line of recommendations. That is so funny. You say that because now that I think about this,
0: you're right. I have, would have be lean PCOS? Mm-hmm. I had horrible acne and went on Accutane in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was lean as you say, and had laser like crazy. I never realized, like, obviously I didn't completely reverse this. I was just able to get fit, and then dealt with the acne and hair growth in alternative ways. So, right. but then if I can't reverse this, right, it's Jillian, Michaels who eats pretty damn well and exercises pretty darn consistently. I, I, what I didn't have doc was I stopped having the cysts burst and rushing off to the emergency room. And, you know, I was overweight as a kid. And as that came off, the cyst component stopped., um, and my periods are not crazy or regular, but those other symptoms you talk about are still there. So I hate saying it's genetic because I feel like there's a way to impact genetics, and I worry it disempowers people, right? They can just go, well, it's genetic. There's nothing I can do. right. But is it? is it if 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 I still have those conditions and I changed everything, I mean, I really did. Could I can't be yeah. healthier?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, there's probably a genetic component. There's environmental, there's, there's a lot we don't understand about where it comes from. I would say, like you said, kind of in the beginning, I think it's something, it's a condition that very much can be managed. And that's sort of the message I give to my patients. I also say, look, 10, Bob, we estimate 10% of women would, could be diagnosed with PCOS. So it is really, really common. So I almost look at it as a variation on human physiology, right? Like we all have slightly different physiologies. We have different metabolisms. We have all kinds of things that are different, right? So PCOS is like almost like a difference in physiology that you just need to understand for yourself. What is it that's going on with me? What are my struggles? What things do I do well? And then how do I manage it? How do I optimize for me and for the situation I've been placed into? How can I optimize my health? How can I feel as good as possible? How can I you know, have as healthy of a reproductive, um, you know, health as possible. So, I mean, all of those are just areas that I think can 100% be managed. I don't want people to just use this as a crutch of like, right. I'm going to throw in the towel. Yeah, and they um, do in some cases, doc, I see it. Called, women are fighting with me
0: about like, you have no idea. I am a PCOS warrior. Like my God, this is dangerous. Like you've made this your identity as being this PCOS warrior. So, trying to separate them from the disease, disease, illness, condition, syndrome, syndrome as you said, really syndrome, syndrome, right? It is is that much more difficult? And what I would strongly recommend for everyone listening is. To see someone like a Dr. Huddlestein, and we're going to talk about where you can get more from her at the end of the show, of course, and it's in the show notes, but to also look at the variety of conditions you're talking about because they, it does sound like there's a unique treatment plan for everyone. Yeah. My question, doc, is, does this also apply to things like endometriosis and Asherman's syndrome? And can you break down for people what exactly those are?
1: Yeah, so... They are two different conditions that really don't relate to PCOS. PCOS is, it's a a separate entity. Um, Endometriosis is another really common condition that women struggle with. Um, And it is where there the lining of our uterus is called the endometrial layer. So it's like the layer that kind of sheds every month and regrows. That layer can also sort of make its way out of the uterus and into our pelvic cavity and implant On the lining of our pelvic cavity and kind of cause inflammation and pain, essentially, um, and infertility. So it's got sort of a lot of ramifications. It's also really common. Five to 10% of people, women, will have this. It's often, in some cases, not even symptomatic, but it's there. So that is a condition that we treat, you know, depending again on what are the concerns. Is the concern pain? You know, then we figure out a plan for that. Is the concern fertility? we figure out a plan for that. Um, I
0: understand.
1: Yeah. And then Asherman's is actually totally different too. So Asherman's is, is a condition that is really what we call iatrogenic, which means it's caused by something healthcare did or something that happened to the patient essentially. So basically this is where there's scarring in the uterine lining um, that can really make it very difficult to get pregnant. And that almost always occurs because of some sort of infection that's been there, plus maybe a procedure. So like you had a miscarriage and then you had a DNC, which is yeah. a dilation curatage, and maybe all the tissue didn't come out. And then now there's scarring in there. So that's another condition that we work with quite a bit because it has, you know, really significant implications for fertility. All
0: right. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with Dr. Heather Huddleston and we're going to talk. Everything solution-based, action plan, hope. There's tons of hope, guys, for every single aspect of getting pregnant, being at a healthy weight, everything. So stick with us. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, And starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, guys, we are back with Dr. Heather Huddleston, reproductive endocrinologist, expert specialist. Um, Doc, I forgot to ask you about uterine polyps. and the reason I bring that one up in particular is because it was close to home for me because my ex, when she tried to get pregnant and she was only 32 at the time, she couldn't get pregnant. And they finally found these uterine polyps and they had to go in and scrape them. And I just remember thinking like 32 healthy, right? Seemingly healthy and had so many of them that she literally could not get pregnant. What, what is that? How common is that? How do you know if you have that?
1: Um, and how can you fix it? Yes. Yeah. So uterine polyps. I mean, I I'm a, I'm a, I like uterine polyps because they are very fixable. So a uterine polyp is an overgrowth of the uterine lining, kind of like a skin tag of the lining of the uterus. So it's it's located in the uterus, kind of where the baby would implant, but you've got right. this skin tag sitting there and it's kind of taking up space and it's maybe creating an environment that's a little inflammatory. And so it can make it hard to get pregnant. Um, And so if you're struggling with getting pregnant like that, and you see a doctor, part of that evaluation really should be to look at the uterus with an ultrasound or other techniques. And if it looks like there's polyps in there, it's a good thing to try to have them removed because it has been shown to improve, you know, your chances of getting pregnant. Um, and the way to remove them is for most patients is a very simple surgery called a hysteroscopy where we go in, we look and we can basically pull it off the wall and you're kind of good to go after that. So it's an easy surgery, relatively non-invasive and can have a really big impact. When you when you look at
0: your, your line of work as a whole, holistically, not condition by condition. Is there any sort of through line or advice you could give us with regard to prevention, like uterine health, reproductive health, hormonal health with your reproductive hormones? This is a great plan, like an umbrella of eat this and do that and don't do this and don't do that, or it just kind of does not work that way.
1: I mean, I think yes and no. I would say things that apply in general for health, like the common sense stuff that we know is going to help help us stay healthy, you know, as we age, things like eating healthy, maintaining as healthy of a body weight as possible, being active, getting sleep, all of those things do play a role in, I think, helping our fertility, helping our reproductive health. Um, but I would also say that it's not always that simple. So you, there are plenty of people who lead very, very healthy lives who may still struggle with fertility for one of many reasons. And so I I like to, I like to clarify that because I also don't like for patients to beat themselves up when they struggle with fertility, like, oh, I should have done this, or it's my fault because I'm doing X and Y wrong. Because we know most of the time, that's not the case. You can be doing everything right. And I want you to be doing everything right because it's good for you, but you could be doing all that right. And you're, you may still have something that needs medical attention and that's okay.
0: You were telling me um, during the break about, you know, where you practice medicine, which is at uh, the university, of California, San Francisco, but you were saying that there's a host of experts there that address this. And I think you even said they a psychiatrist, or psych- a, a, a psychoanalyst, a the therapist. Psychologist. Psychologist, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, And I I was wondering if you could explain all the people that work there on why you have a psychologist working at a fertility clinic. Is it just because of self-esteem issues or is it because maybe there's an emotional component that's manifesting in a physical dysfunction?
1: Yes. So, well, our psychologist works with our PCOS group and also works with our fertility patients. For, for PCOS and for like our PCOS clinic where we do bring in a dermatologist, we have a reproductive endocrinologist, we have a psychologist, nutritionist. The reason our psychologist is part of that is pa- patients with PCOS often really struggle with depression, anxiety, eating disorders are incredibly common. So I think in terms of addressing the concerns of someone with PCOS, often having that psychology part of it is really, really critical. Um, and kind of it's similar, but differently in our patients with fertility, our psychologist is really critical because fertility takes a huge toll on people's uh, mental health. And that's been shown in multiple studies that rates of depression, anxiety are higher than in, in cancer patients, because it's something oh. that is hard wow. to talk about. You're often burying it yourself. You don't can't talk about it with your friends. You're feeling a sense of failure. So it's a really hard struggle for patients. So our psychologist plays a huge role in working with our patients and helping um, with that part of it.
0: So you have a nutritionist in there as well, though. So they're tackling it with regard to food. You've got somebody tackling like the mind-body component. You're going in there literally and dealing with things hormonally, surgically. Um, I mean, this this is something that appears to require a village across the board. And I I think that's really important to mention for for all the reasons you just said, because there is a definite helplessness and in some cases a hopelessness that I see from people going through things like PCOS, because I tend to get those questions. I, I never get fertility questions, obviously, but because there's PCOS and weight gain tend to go hand in hand. I have friends who struggle with fertility and I've seen it just take such a toll on them, their marriage. Um, so, having this support to everybody listening is obviously
1: going to be a critical piece of the solution, right, Doc? I um, think so. Yeah. I, I, think I mean, having that multidisciplinary approach is really important because there's, like you know, when we're talking about something like PCOS, there's a lot of different facets to it, there's a lot of different struggles that patients may be having. And like I said, it's not cookie cutter, not every patient's the same. And so bringing in a a myriad of professionals who can kind of address the specific complaints is really, I think the ideal way to approach things like PCOS, because it is, it does cross, it does cut across multiple disciplines um, in terms of what the issues are. And that's why I think a lot of patients with PCOS do feel frustrated. They get kind of bounced around with physicians or providers who may not really grasp all of the things that are going on. And so, you know, being able to sort of tell patients, okay, we've got this. We're going to look at everything I think is good uh, for them. Another question, doc, what about
0: things like herbs and acupuncture? I know a lot of people resort to, I don't want to call it alternative, but to a certain extent, like alternative therapies, what are your thoughts on that? Helpful, not helpful, worthless, potentially dangerous. The the herbs I know can be pretty hardcore. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends that do it for fertility um, in particular. And my my ex did it and she did acupuncture. I don't know, amongst a million other things, right? So I don't know what role that did or didn't play, but I'm I'm wondering your thoughts on that because I know a lot of people are turning to that as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think part of why they're turning to it is because we're not, you know, standard conventional medicine isn't always offering much to help patients. And so, you know, I, I sympathize. I think, you know, when it comes to herbs, it's hard because what is in that herb, you know, it's right. It it could be a million different things. I think sometimes there are, I think it is. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. don't know how it's been prepared. (laughs) Bag of mud. I don't know. It's like, Uh it might be nothing. It might do absolutely nothing. Um, it could be harmful in certain cases. I just think you have to be careful. You have to be a careful consumer when you're putting stuff in your body. Um, so herbs that are like not really clear what's in it, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, I think that there probably are some supplements that are that are helpful. I think probably most important is just the more basic things, like okay being active. Like, how active are you? Are you exercising? Are you getting up? Are you doing steps? Like those are like the things that are actually probably more powerful than anything you can put in a bottle.
0: That's um, one of our questions specifically, by the way, is, is there any type of exercise that's best for PCOS?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. It's uh, And I think it's an area that I would love to see more research in. Um, we, m- My gut feeling from looking at a lot of the studies that have been done, and we actually just finished a small study on this, is that... It, the most important thing is what are you going to do? What are you going to get up and do that consistently to you and be consistent? And I don't think that there's probably any sort of like remarkable difference between like hit versus, you know, walking for 45 minutes versus, you know, I do think probably adding some degree of strength is important. I think moving is really important in general. I want to really think about what's going to work for that patient, that they're not going to get discouraged. They're going to keep doing it.
0: You're absolutely right. It's whatever you're going to do consistently, guys.
1: I think it's often a journey, right? So I think the first step for patients who are not really doing much activity at baseline is to sort of get them to the point where it is part of their day. Like you eat, you sleep, you go to the bathroom, you work, you exercise. Like it's a non-negotiable part of the day. Um, And maybe that's just walking for 30 minutes in the beginning. But if you can get people to do that for a year, they're gonna start to be in more in touch with their body. They're gonna have a better, you know, comfort level with their just physical form. I think they're going to then be more accepting and willing and wanting to try to even ramp it up more. So sometimes it's also baby steps and getting just getting people to start moving and then to sort of add as they go.
0: Okay, two more questions doc, two more questions. Um, in particular, birth control. A lot of people are afraid of birth control. People have a lot of fear around it because they worry about things like cancer, getting pregnant later. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have a clue on. I not a clue. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Thing. Yeah, there's a lot. to your doctor. doctor, guys. Yeah, I mean, at, at some level, yeah, you got to talk to your doctor. But I think so. For let's say for PCOS, if you are not having cycles, so some of our patients with PCOS are not. They'll have like two periods a year wow that that's not an okay. ideal situation either and so that patient should have something they should either have birth control pills or they should have progesterone given in you know certain times of the month or you know so you know there's certain times where i'm going to say we need to talk about some kind of hormone you know and and someone who's not having periods With PCOS, that's a category where we need to talk about that. If if, let's say you're if you're having regular cycles, whether or not you have PCOS, if you are cycling, you don't have to be on the birth control pill unless there's some other advantage for you. Now, sometimes patients with PCOS who are really struggling with hair growth or acne, the birth control pill can help with that. It doesn't mean they have to go on it. We could talk about other things, you know, like what you some of your things that you did, like Accutane or laser those so there's a lot of options what um, about
0: spironolactone doc what do,
1: spironolactone, do you think of that one yeah so that one is a block it blocks androgens action at the skin it's a medication oh, just at the, the- skin pretty oh my much gosh at the, yeah well I've, okay yeah mo- that's probably where it's really having its effect um it's so we it can Give added for patients who are really struggling with hair growth. Maybe they don't have access to laser. Laser is expensive and it's not covered by insurance. So patients who are really, you know, I have a, let's say I have an adolescent patient. She's 16. She's got all this hair growth. She's trying to go to high school. I mean, that's a rough situation. Yeah. Birth control pills plus spironolactone. So I usually like to add it to the birth control Got pill. It. Um, I understand. And okay, can be helpful for that patient for that goal for the goal of minimizing a lot of the skin things. If you're not struggling with the hair growth and the acne, if your skin's fine and you have PCOS, you don't need those things. You don't. You what about don't need- metformin. So metformin we use for patients who have. um struggles with insulin resistance and weight that they are not sort of able to necessarily get it, you know, all taken care of with diet and exercise. So, you know, if I have a patient who looks like they've got insulin resistance or glucose levels are higher, we're worried about progression to diabetes, which we know is increased in PCOS. Um, really the first line is diet and exercise, right? And we're going to talk yeah. about what can we do with diet, what can we do with exercise? Sometimes these patients are already maxed out. They're doing a lot of the right things, right? You know, I think their physiology is very much, I mean, think back to like caveman days when there was like a famine and some people's physiology was able to tolerate, you know, not having a lot of food and they would, you know, wouldn't necessarily lose weight. And they were probably the survivors. Well, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what PCOS is like they can, go a long time without a lot of food and not lose a lot of weight. And that's great if there's a famine, but it's not good in 2022. Um, And it's it's so much harder for them. So I do think in those cases where they're already doing all the right things, um, that medications like metformin can be part of the discussion and can be helpful. And, you know, patients will lose some weight on it. They'll often just feel better. They'll feel like their blood sugar is more even. So um, definitely can be a important part of the treatment plan for certain patients okay one more one more uh, natural supplements
0: i hate when people ask questions about supplements vitamins minerals adaptogens for a medical condition so from from a doctor is there something you would recommend for pcos
1: okay, and so- fertility
0: and fertility in general Things that will make you more fertile and things that can help with PCOS?
1: Or would you just say, you know, don't even engage in that conversation? Okay. So I would say, number one, I think if you're thinking about fertility at all, being on just some sort of multivitamin with folic acid is important. So folic acid is important for the development of a baby. Other than that, I do think vitamin D is important. I think. So many patients are vitamin D deficient. We don't fully understand all of the things it does, but there's thought that it's, you know, involved with insulin resistance, involved with fertility. So like, it just doesn't hurt to be well, you know, supplemented with vitamin D.
0: Dose, doc, dose. Cause I know people can really overdo it with that. When they see that, then I, I went to a friend's house and she was taking 10,000 milligrams. And I was like, did you get prescribed this? She's like, no, I bought it on Amazon. I was like, you not do. yeah no we can't
1: do that so like yeah.
0: what is a safe dose
1: to supplement i mean i think like 200 400 iu a okay. day but you know if, if you are let's say you have pcos or you you're struggling with fertility get your vitamin d level checked you know some patients when it's very very low a doctor may want to put you on a higher dose and right. that's a different situation and and there are protocols for that because it can take a lot of vitamin D to get your levels up but I wouldn't do it on my own right i think okay. it's good to get your level checked and see where you're at key don't do it on your own supplements can still be dangerous depending on what you do with them i mean the only other supplement with PCOS that's i think getting more studies done and i want to really see what the studies show, but there is a story kind of coming out with inositol, which is a supplement that people can buy over the counter um, that may have some benefits in PCOS for insulin resistance, kind of similar to metformin. Mm. Um, But I think the caveat is, again, when you're talking about over the counter supplements, it's not, no one has really verified what's even in that bottle. What is really the dose? Like we have to be really careful. So what I would say is like, it's worth talking to your provider about it. There is medical literature, you know, out there about it. There's studies being done. And as that happens, it's possible that there's other, you know, that we may find there's some benefits there and, and I want patients to have access to it. Um, So I don't want to ignore it, but I also just want to have a lot of caveats that like, be very careful, work with a provider um, before you start taking stuff, you know, that you order on Amazon.
0: Of course, of course. Doc, as i mentioned the questions for you were pretty extensive um and not everybody is in san francisco to come in and see you personally so where can we get more for you from you online like ig websites and i know you have something called alara uh yeah. which is so, pretty cool
1: yeah so our pcos clinic does have a um a Instagram and a website if people want to look at what we have there. There is for patients who are looking for patient support, there's something called PCOS Challenge, which is a patient advocacy group. And then Alara is a company that I've given um, scientific advice to that's trying to just offer medical care focused around PCOS, but in a sort of virtual platform. So patients living anywhere in the United States can sort of sign up to get hooked into again, kind of a holistic, like talk to a, you know, someone a reproductive specialist, talk to a nutritionist, try to get more of a care plan going. So that's something also that if you're not in San Francisco or a city that's got, you know, a PCOS specialized clinic, I would encourage patients to look into something like that.
0: And don't forget guys, all of this information is in the show notes in case you're driving, don't have a chance to write it down. You could always just listen to it again, but that's fine. Um, Dr. Heather Huddleston, you're fantastic. Thank you so much for all your help and all the work you're doing. And uh, if ever you've got a little more time, I got about 50 more questions for you. (laughs) So please, please, please consider coming back in the future.
1: All right, well, well, thanks. It was great talking to you and just thanks for getting such great information out to people.
0: if you're enjoying the show do us a big favor and subscribe on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it just helps us get the show out there get it heard by more people we'd really appreciate it